My name is John Sedarth. I came to know Jesus around the age of 10 at a First Baptist Church with my family and witnessed my parents get baptized there as well. So I've always known Jesus and now in my adult life I would like to uh, let him choose the way to, to live and go that route instead of uh, trying to do it all on my own. So that's why I'm choosing to be baptized today. Okay, my name's Alex Bergeron. I came to know Jesus, I feel like a while ago, but I've just now decided to give my life to him and I want to be baptized just because I feel his presence so deeply in my heart and I just feel like this is the best way to show my love. My name is Stephanie Soliday. I've known Jesus my whole life. I think I reinvigorated that in the last year or so. Um, so I want to be baptized because I've never formally made that decision on my own to do so. So I, I want to actually do that now. My name's Sawyer. Um, I came to know Jesus when I was eight. We were at a Royal Rangers meeting and they were handing out flyers talking about giving your life to Christ. And I took it home and it was really late. So I went to bed and then the next morning in our devotional, um, it was talking about it again. So I decided to, and then that's when I gave my life to Christ. And then I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know that I'm giving my life to Christ because it's a public showing and that I want to grow closer to him. My name is Sandra. Um, I started following the Lord as a, as a child. I grew up in the church. I chose to get baptized today um, because I felt that it was the next step to being obedient. Um, God's been really working on my heart to do it. I was actually baptized as a teenager and I've been wrestling with it because I was um, not ever submerged in baptism. I took a, several years um, in my young adulthood and kind of went my own way and the last 10 years have been pouring back into God, asking him what he wants for my life and it felt like today was the right day. Man, isn't that awesome? Can we just give him another round of applause? Yeah. You know, uh, if you're new to, to uh, church life or you're trying to check out who Jesus is, we, we're just firm believers that um, when we serve Jesus, it's not just a private affair that we do, um, you know, in our closet, uh, but we live all of our lives to be um, under the authority of Jesus. And so that right there is one of those steps to take to say, I am all in and I want everybody to know what I'm about and where I'm moving forward. So, man, that's awesome. And if you have not been baptized yet, but you are following Jesus, you are doing your best to live under the authority of Jesus, live out what's in the scriptures. I encourage you, if you're online, send an email. You can find that on the website. If you're here in the room today, stop by the information counter. We'd love to help facilitate that for you. But welcome. It's great to have you here this morning. I am so excited about today. I'm so excited about this text, but I have a confession to make. Can I be honest with you? Glad I'm among friends here. Uh, Jesus told me earlier this week, he said, let the text be the text. And I, because I'm so smart, said, well, what do you mean by that? And I started listing off all these literary criticism terms and uh, all these big words. And um, I got a little chastised by God, and uh, he corrected me quite 
um, harshly, to be frank, and that was appropriate. And he said, what I want you to do is get out of the way. And so today, um, I'm not going to share a whole lot of personal illustrations or try to entertain or try to keep anyone's attention. Um, to, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I often share stories of my life, my family, how God's speaking to me, and you know, it helps. Um, often it helps me when I hear other people's stories. Oh, that's how they're living this out. Well, I think that fits with me here and there. It's helpful. But for today, I'm going to be obedient to Jesus, and uh, we're just going to focus in on the text, and that is it today. So if everyone's all right with that, and if you're not, I don't care. So um, we're going to jump into the text today. We've been in, um, in the book of Luke, and so if you have a paper copy or you have a smart device, um, you can go ahead and grab that. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, and we're just going to let the text be the text. And I'm going to be obedient to Jesus, all right? It says right here at the beginning, when Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, I always, when I hear that, I'm like, what did he say? What's going on? So if, just real quick clarity, he just took a moment uh, with his leadership team, with his, his uh, closest followers, taught them, had a teachable moment with them. And um, if you want to read about that in the previous chapter, you're welcome to. But now, after he'd finished all of that, he entered the city of Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Man, what a story, right? When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum was just a very, very small fishing village. Um, Historians, archaeologists have determined that at its peak, there were 1,500 people living there. Now, I know our previous home that we lived in, there were at least 1,500 homes in the neighborhood, not including people, right? I mean, this was a tiny fishing village. How many of us in here would say I grew up in a small town? Anybody? Anyone grow up in a town of 1,500 or less? Oh, we got some. I see your hand, Wendell. I won't judge you too much. Just kidding. So this is a very small fishing village, and yet this is where Jesus spent most of his time this was the epicenter of his ministry. In fact, there are, there's only one other city that's mentioned more often in the Gospels, and that's the city of Jerusalem. So Capernaum is a big deal for Jesus, but it's not a big deal in terms of the size or the scope of what the, uh, the city or the fishing village was like. And Jesus, uh, and as the story continues, it, we, it makes mention there that there was a centurion who was living in the town there. Now, a, a centurion was part of the Roman army, and just a regular old soldier in the Roman army, man, they were tough guys. They had to uh, train nonstop. I mean, anyone active military or vets in the room today? Thank you. You guys know PT way better than I do, obviously. Look at me. I would die. 
probably literally have a heart attack. But regardless, um, these Roman dudes, I mean, they, they were known for, I mean, much of what we uh, in, in modern militaries, a lot of what we uh, learned from the Romans, we, we still apply in basic concepts to, the, to this day. And so they, they trained nonstop. Uh, one of the things that they had to do was they had to march 20 miles with not just their armor, not just their their weapons, um, but they had to have all their cooking supplies. They had to have all of their food. They had all of this on their backs, walk 20 miles. And then guess what? After 20 miles, they had to dig a big ditch around their camp and build fortresses around it. I mean, it was crazy. They had to be strong, tough dudes to be in the Roman uh, army. Not only is this man in the Roman army, he's a centurion, which I know it's kind of confusing. Century, centurion, hundred, but they were actually in charge of 80. Don't ask me why. They were in charge of 80 Roman dudes, and uh, they, they would um, uh, either be appointed by the Senate, they could be elected, or they could just be appointed by a general. Different variety of ways where you could get to be a centurion, but you had to be the best at all the weapons that were in your arsenal. You had to be the best in terms of, of your skill. You had to be the strongest. You had to be the bravest. You were the example for all of these guys. And a centurion, the one cool thing you got was a stick. And uh, since you were personally responsible for all these guys, you could literally beat them anytime you wanted. I mean, maybe that's the, okay, that makes me a bad person for saying that. I know. But, um, but this guy was personally responsible for 80 guys. If they were out of line, it came back on him. So he had authority over these men, and he was responsible so when we read through this story of a centurion, I don't want you to think about this mild-mannered man. This was a warrior of warriors. This was a strong man. This was an educated man. You'd have to learn how to read and write to be a centurion. And as we see in the text, he also had some wealth. That's the kind of man this is. So there in the town of Capernaum was a centurion's servant who was master, valued highly, was sick and about to die. Literally, this guy's role in the story is just to be a problem. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in life, like, I'm just a problem, but it's kind of funny to me. It makes me laugh a little bit. Here's a guy. He's sick. He's a problem. We hear nothing else about him, but he is sick, and he's highly valued to this centurion. And so what does the centurion do? He heard about Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, if we back up a little bit in Luke, again, Capernaum, this village, was the epicenter of Jesus' ministry. So what happened a little bit previously in the story? Well, if we back up a little bit, we see that Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue. That same day, he went to Peter's house, and uh, his mother-in-law had a high fever, and Jesus rebuked the fever, and the fever left. In the same day, at sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. Remember, this is all happening in a tiny, tiny fishing village. Of course the centurion heard about this, right? News travels very quickly in a small town. So he knows this. He knows what's going on with Jesus. He'd heard all the stories about Jesus. He has a servant who is highly valued to him, who is extremely sick, and he sends who? The elders of the Jews, the elders of the community, to approach Jesus. If you live in a small town, then I'm sure you're very aware that if you get a handful of the most influential people on board with you, your plan will succeed. And that is what the centurion does. He says, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to get the five... Six, I, we don't have the number, but a handful of these men to get on my side and go petition Jesus and see what happens. 
So when these elders came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Remember the synagogue that Jesus cast the demon out in? This guy helped fund it. He built it for the people. This guy was a good man. This guy was helpful to the people. He loved the people. He would be what the Bible elsewhere calls a God-fearing Gentile. And we read about this, and particularly in the book of Acts, you'll see many examples of this. One of them is another centurion named Cornelius. And Luke tells us, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He wasn't a Jewish person. He wasn't a full convert to Judaism, but he was on the periphery of the community. People knew him as a good man and someone who prayed to God and was generous. When Paul was in Thessalonica, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And it says in Acts chapter 17, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks. See, this term is interspersed throughout um, the scriptures. In Athens, in the same chapter, Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Paul did the same thing in Corinth. We hear this term, God-fearing person. So what is is this centurion in, um, in the story of Luke? He's a man who is a man's man, he's a warrior of warriors, and he also respects God. He respects the people. He's generous. He's kind. And in fact, in Acts, we see that some God-fearing Jews were actually accepted into the synagogue itself. So perhaps, speculation here, he may have even been there when the demon was cast out of the man in the synagogue. Wasn't a full-fledged member of the community. Wasn't a Jew. But he was influential. He was kind. He was generous and doing his best to honor God. So Jesus went with these elders. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Man, what humility this man has. Again, think about this. He's a man's man. He's a warrior. He's wealthy. He helped build buildings in the village. This is a man who could come across, you need to do this for me because I am. But instead, he took the opposite approach. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's speaking from his own context, his own life, and he realizes that authority that he has gets stuff done. And he recognizes, he's humble enough to recognize that Jesus' authority is even greater than his. So how much more, if Jesus speaks it, will it be so? The authority of Jesus. This man recognized it. And I love this. Jesus' reaction is priceless. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And I think we can just quickly pass over that word, oh, Jesus was amazed. But I want to take a few examples of where else Luke, who's writing this letter, uh, writing the gospel of Luke, where else he uses this word that's translated amazed and maybe help fill out the picture of exactly how Jesus reacted to this man. We read about this in Luke chapter 2, verses 18. After the shepherds had visited Mary, Joseph, and Jesus when he was a baby, they spread the news about Jesus to everyone they met. And all who heard it were amazed 
at what the shepherds said to them. This is crazy. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. That was their reaction. Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his closest friends, they're out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep. All of a sudden, the wind and the waves pick up, and they think they're going to die, and Jesus is still asleep. They wake up and say, do you care about us at all? Jesus just says, where's your faith? He calms the storm. He calms the wind. He calms the wave. And in fear and what? Amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. The teachers of the law in Jerusalem, they tried to trap Jesus, and this word is used um, in, this, uh, in this story as well. They tried to trap him by saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And on one hand, he's, if Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, well, do you not care about our people? And that would be, he would be perhaps branded as an apostate. If he said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then he would be branded as, as a rebel. And so either way, they're going to get this guy killed is what they're thinking, right? They've got this perfectly laid trap. And what Jesus says is, well, whose image is on your money? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. And they were astonished. That's the same word, amazed, astonished, blown away, surprised. So when Jesus hears this, uh, the friends of this man come and just say, look, just say the word. You don't have to come. I'm not worthy to have you here. Jesus is amazed, astounded, surprised. These are, he is on, he doesn't even know what to think. How many of you have preschoolers in the house? Anybody in that age? Little Einsteins, have you seen the show? There's a character in the show, Little Einsteins, and uh, forgive me if you don't, uh, aren't familiar with the story, but they go on these adventures and everything, and there's a, a, a character named Quincy, and when they fulfill their mission, he says this, I cannot believe it! How did I do? <laughs> Pretty good? Pretty, a minus? All right. I see Jesus doing that. I cannot believe it! He's amazed at the faith of this man. I wonder in my life, does my faith amaze anybody? I hope that my faith in the authority of Jesus can bring that reaction. But that's the reaction that Jesus had. And Jesus says this, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Get this, the greatest expression of faith that Jesus ever saw was not someone who was part of the in crowd, was not someone who was, who, was, who was Jewish and Israelite and knew better and knew the law inside and out and fault. It was someone on the periphery. This wasn't an absolute outcast, but this man was not Jewish. He was not a full convert to Judaism. And yet he is the one that Jesus says, I have never seen faith like this before. He didn't fit the mold. And I wonder for some of us here today, maybe we don't feel like we fit the mold. Can I just encourage you? You can be the greatest example of faith. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to have it all together. You might even be uncomfortable showing up at church because you feel different. You can be the greatest example of faith. And you can have someone say to you, I cannot believe it, of your faith.
Don't discount what God wants to do in and through your life. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I laugh out loud every time I read this part of the story because here's this guy. I'm sorry. I'm just a horrible human being. I laugh at this guy. He's about to die. My gosh. But he's so, he's just like not even there in the story. He's just like kind of off on the, the sidelines here. He didn't do a thing in this story. For all we know, he was in a coma. He couldn't speak. He was about to die. He could do nothing to save himself. He couldn't get up and go to Jesus. He didn't have the authority to send another servant to ask Jesus for help. He did nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was someone else's radical faith that brought about the miracle in his life. And I wonder for some of us here in the room, where do we need to have some radical faith on someone else's behalf? And so today, um, I've tried to keep to the text and be obedient to Jesus and um, just let the text be the text. And so um, we're going to wrap up our time here together. I'm, I promise you I could speak another 10 minutes, but I'm going to be obedient to Jesus and uh, allow his authority to guide my life here. And we're just going to pause at the end here. We're going to consider three things. Maybe there's some of us watching online, some of us here in the room, and uh, the authority of Jesus is something that's strange or foreign or you're not sure about. Can I just encourage you to lean in? Lean in. Ask questions. If you're here today, there are people who would love to have more conversations with you about what it looks like to have the authority of Jesus lived out in your life. I could tell you countless stories of what Jesus has done in directing my life and what that looks like, but I'm here to talk about the text. But if that's you, come find me. Come find Dave right here. Come find us. We would love to talk to you about what it looks like to live in the authority of Jesus. And maybe you're just brand new to this whole thing. Man, we'd love to have a conversation with you about what this looks like. But I just want to encourage you, be open. Be open to God. Don't be closed off. Just be open to him. Some of us in here in the room, second category, if you want to use that language, um, are people who feel like, um, maybe some of us feel like we're, we're a little rough around the edges. Maybe we don't really fit in um, church mold perfectly, things like that. To be quite frank with you, um, I find myself in that category often. Um, and yeah, I'm the guy standing up here today, but um, I, I, I find myself there sometimes. And maybe you do too. Maybe you think, um, I just don't quite fit or I'm just different or whatever it is. Can I just encourage you? You can have unbelievable faith. And in fact, God loves to take people who don't fit the mold to make an incredible impact people's lives so maybe that's you today maybe you're trying to figure out the authority of Jesus and these people got baptized and what does that mean and maybe you're there maybe you're at a place where you're leaning into Jesus and you'd say I'm, I'm committed to Jesus but I don't know how to live this out perfectly in a mold man don't worry about the mold so much just lean into Jesus the third category of people you might find yourself in a couple of these that's fine but the third category or or 
um, type of person that I, I think this text directly applies to is, is uh, those of us who have been on the journey with Jesus for a long time and, and we have faith and we are living under the authority of Jesus the best that we can. But there's somebody else in our life that needs the authority of Jesus to come and radically arrest them and change their lives and change their situation, change their scenario. We saw earlier in, in, in the, the Gospel of Luke several weeks ago of, of a group of friends who, who tried to get their, their paralyzed friend to Jesus and they had to tear a hole in the roof to drop him down to get to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? The text says he looked at their faith and said, son or friend, your sins are forgiven. See, it wasn't just the paralyzed man who had faith. His friends had faith to bring him, drop him down through the roof. And it was because of their faith collectively together that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and get up your mat and go home. Walk again. Who do you need to do that for in your life today? So I'm gonna take a minute and, uh, and pray. And then I just want you to consider in your life, where are you at? Where are you at with the authority of Jesus? Are you still questioning, wondering, man, God wants to meet you right there. Are you feeling like you're a little out of sorts and don't fit the mold? God wants to meet you right there. Are you feeling like, man, there are people in my life I need to advocate for, see the authority of Jesus impact their lives, even though they're maybe passively receiving it? Man, let's bring that to God, okay? Jesus, the story is... Um, profound one, and I've done my best just to let the text be the text, and um, just keep this as simple and concise as we can today. So, Jesus, I'd, I'd like to just take a moment and um, allow you, by your Holy Spirit, to speak to us, and um, we're going to just take a pause and let you do that. God, I know that sometimes you'll bring someone to mind, you'll bring a situation to mind, sometimes literally words will come to us, um, sometimes it's a scripture that pops into our mind, but God, we want to be open to you, regardless of where we're at in these three areas, these three categories, where we find ourselves, we're going to choose to be open to you. So for 15, 20 seconds, we're just going to be quiet, be still, and we just invite you to speak to us today, God. faith is, is public. Our faith is not something to be kept on the sidelines. It's to impact everything about us, which means your authority literally bleeds into our workplace. Your authority bleeds into the way that we treat people. It, you are present in everything that we do as your followers. So Jesus, this week, we choose to lean into that. This week, we choose to listen to you. This week, we choose to obey. This week, we choose to lean into your authority, recognize your authority. We ask that you would do incredible things in our community for our community's sake. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. So glad we could gather together here. Let's go on the authority of Jesus. Let's go change our world.
All right? All right.